This is the Endurance Church Podcast with Pastor Anthony Bass. At Endurance Church, our goal is to live well and finish strong by becoming faithful disciples of Christ. We do this through loving, disciplined, Bible-based teaching, encouragement, and care. For more information about our ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. And now, today's message. So Chuck Missler, the champion of the Bible, said this, God prefers devotion to doctrine. Now, what Chuck Messer is not trying to say is God doesn't care about doctrine. Doctrine is essential and is important. False doctrine came in the early church in waves. And the early church had to fight hard in order to kind of combat false, false doctrine. Even today, we have to fight against false doctrine. We will never get rid of false doctrine until I believe Jesus Christ comes back. That's just a part of the, the challenge. Why? Because from the beginning, that's been Satan's strategy to get us to doubt what God is saying. To get us to doubt God's character. That's what happened in the garden. God says something and Satan said, what did God really say? Implicitly saying, I am saying more trustworthy than God. So every time false teaching comes out, we have to be careful because false teaching, what it does, it entices our flesh. It pulls us away. It gives us a sense of pride, of power, of privilege, and it pulls us away from the humbling teaching of Jesus Christ. Paul, talking to the Corinthians, said, the gospel is simple. It's a simple teaching. It's not complex. Paul said, I preach Jesus Christ crucified. And I don't come with big words. I'm not very articulate. He said, I preach this way so people will trust in the power of God and not in me, a great speaker. So when we talk about Jesus Christ, it's very simple. It's not hard. It's not complex. It's not but we've made it complex because the teaching of simplicity isn't necessarily always what we want to hear. So let's jump into the scriptures today. But once again, as we went through uh, Revelation chapter 1 last week, we talked about the seven churches that are going to receive this message from Jesus Christ. Now, the reason why this is important is because of this. There are other churches around at this time. These aren't the only seven churches that are in existence. You can off the top of your head name plenty of churches. Where's the Roman church? Where's the church at Corinth? Where's the church at, where the Philippians? So understand, these aren't the only churches that are in existence, these seven churches. There are potentially hundreds of churches, house churches, that are meeting, whether in synagogues or in schools, at this particular, or we call them schools or auditoriums, at this particular time. But Jesus Christ, somehow in his sovereignty, for some reason, picked these seven churches to highlight. And these seven churches not only speak to what was going on there that, that day and time, but also speak to us today, 
2,000 plus years later, the principles and the expectation that Jesus Christ had for these churches, he has for us. Now, when I was in seminary, we went through church planting school. We had how to make a church healthy. We had all these different graduate school classes that tell you what the church should be. But not one of my teachers ever went to the book of Revelation that says, this is what God says the church should be. The reason why it's so important to establish Jesus Christ's identity in the book of Revelation is because what he's about to say is so amazing. So understand, Jesus Christ makes it explicitly clear. Jesus Christ, Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, the Son, is going to communicate something very important to these seven churches. And the first church he talks about is the church, let me go back, at Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a very wealthy city. Does anybody know what the term Ephesus means? Ephesus means the desired one. Oh, you, well, I'm sorry, I didn't give you a chance. I apologize. Next time I'll give you a chance. <laughs> it means the desired one. The one that is desired. Ephesus was very wealthy. And you see, by, based upon its geographical location, it had a what? A port. So ships came in and out. Therefore, Ephesus had money. Money, money, money. Also, there was this giant meteorite that fell in the city of Ephesus. And a temple was built on that site. And does anybody know what God was worshipped there? Artemis or Diana, the goddess Diana, who we know today as who? Wonder Woman. So, I'm serious. They were worshiping Wonder Woman in Ephesus. Now, the Wonder Woman in the Bible is a lot different than the Wonder Woman that DC Comics put out there, nevertheless, because this Wonder Woman had people committing sexual atrocities, basically, in order to worship her. She was one of the fertility gods. So if you wanted to have babies or land or prosperity or money, you would engage in sexual intercourse with a fertility prostitute God, you know, and as a result, your hope would be that you would have money in your pocket. And it seemed to be working. Why? Because Ephesus was what? Rich. They're rolling in the dough. So this desired city, this strategic location is the, is the place where Paul went to establish a church. Now, he leaves Ephesus after a couple years, and the first time he went there, he went to the synagogue and he preached about Jesus Christ. He preached about the Messiah. He eventually goes back to Ephesus, and eventually the Jews kick him out of the synagogue, and they're like, man, get out of here. He goes to a different person's house. Now, Ephesus is so important historically. The entire book of Acts, chapter 20, you can circle it, you can read it, you can write it down. That's everything that happened in Paul's journey through Ephesus. Remember, Ephesus is the place where Priscilla, Aquila, met a man named Apollos, right? Who Apollos is actually Wonder Woman's brother, but that's a different story for a different day. Also, in Ephesus, the, the scriptures of the seven sons of Sceva, did anyone remember happened to them? The seven sons of Sceva, they, they did not believe in Jesus, but they saw a man possessed by a demon. And what happened is these people said, you know, in the name of Jesus Christ that Paul preaches... I command you, demon, 
to come out. And what happened is the demon turned around like a scary movie. Let me, let me, let me reenact how the demon probably looked. I should close your eyes because I don't want to give you bad dreams, baby. The demon probably went like. Now, my head probably would have turned, you know, the exorcist. <laughs> I can't reenact all that. Come on, give me a break. But nevertheless, the demon says, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. But you, I don't know who you are. And that demon gave all those people such a beating, they ran away naked. That's what happened. This is the same emphasis that people were giving up all their magic scrolls. There was witchcraft was prevalent there. And they burned thousands upon thousands of dollars of witchcraft scrolls because they were turning from their idolatry to Jesus Christ. Ephesus was a great place where God is moving mightily. Ephesus is a place where we look at the book of Ephesians, right? Everybody knows Ephesians chapter 6 about the armor of God, right? Does anybody know the armor of God chapter? You put on the helmet of what? And you do the, what, the breastplate of what? And the belt of what? And then the sword of something. And then the, the sandals of what? So, so everybody knows Ephesians. It's one of the most loved books that we have. So everything by all intents and purposes should be doing well at Ephesus. Let's jump in Revelation 1, 19. Write these things which you have seen. Now this is the Lord speaking to who? John the Beloved. He says, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand. Now, this is Jesus talking. Now, listen to what he says. He says, seven stars are where? Okay. Which means, and I'm going to sniff. I apologize. Christy, I know you don't like me sniffing when I have a cold, but I got to do it today. I apologize. But nevertheless, these seven stars are in his right hand, which is symbolic for simply what he is in what? Control of whatever the seven stars are. Everybody got that? So, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now, this is where every pastor starts poking out their chest like a rooster. That's what they say in West Virginia for being proud, right? But nevertheless, we're in Minnesota, so I'll explain myself a little further. This is what he's trying to say is these angels are actually messengers. That's what the word angel means. We're not describing the essence of the creature when we say angel because angels could be a seraphim, could be a cherubim. An angel can be a human. An angel can even be a donkey. Oh, it's in the Bible. We know the donkey was speaking to the prophet, right? Just the FYI. So an angel itself simply is a messenger from God. So he says here, once again, the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. Then he goes on to clarify with the colon here. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. He's not talking about Michael or Gabriel. He's simply talking about the pastors of the church. He goes on to say, and the seven lampstands, which you saw are the seven what? Churches. Now it goes on to chapter 2. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, right, who is, he, who is he talking to? The pastor of the church at Ephesus. He's saying, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand. 
So he's talking to the pastors of the seven church who God, who Jesus is in control of, who walks in the midst of the seven lampstands. So I know we're getting, we normally don't go this deep, but this is Revelations. We're going to go here a little bit. We won't go here often, but we're here today. So work with me. And what I'm trying to say is, who are the seven golden lampstands? We said it earlier. Please, yes, please say it loud. The churches. So he's, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, right, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his hand and who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. So Jesus Christ says he's walking in the midst of the churches, and he's holding the stars in his hands who are the pastors. Now, this is a good thing. He's trying to give clarity. He's trying to make a specific point here. The church of Ephesus, the desired church, has to hear something. But do you know who has to hear this message? All the churches. This message, even though it's for Ephesians, is for all these seven churches. They all need to hear the same thing. He goes on to say, I know your works, your labor, your patience. He's going to say, and you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. And I found them liars. Here, Jesus is giving us a report card regarding that church. Now, to give you a caveat, when we go to the book of Revelations and look at the seven churches, we have to understand this. That the churches we think should be given high grades actually get bad grades. And the churches who we think should get the good grades. Wait a minute. No, the church who gives you the seed. That's, that's the medicine. That's NyQuil. I'm sorry. And the churches that should get the bad grades actually get what? Good grades. Thank you, church. I just saw Jerry Jazz like, no, 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 that's not right. <laughs> I'm so sorry. All right. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and you cannot bear those who are evil. So they're doing a good job. Good job. Because Paul told them, once I leave, ravenous wolves will come in. That's Acts chapter 20, verse 35 and on. He's saying, once I leave here, these fake apostles are going to come in and start teaching false doctrine. Doctrine that they're going to say, Jesus Christ didn't come in the flesh. He's like, you have to fight against these things. So these people are doing every single thing Paul said to do. You think, good job, church. Well done. He goes on to say, and you have preserved and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. You are doing great ministry. You're going out there reaching people, saving people, helping people. You're doing a great job. However, check this out. Nevertheless, that word nevertheless is a contrast. And what that contrast means is what? Everything before it is what? Canceled out. He's contrasting, but. It's like the word but, the conjunction. So despite all the good he said, he says this, I have this against you. He goes on to say, 
that you have left your first love. I was going to bring my wife in here, and I'm trying to give her time because she's trying to hook up the fathers with these amazing Father's Day gifts. So I'm not going to take too much longer, but if you're a dad here today, you're going to get a special gift before you leave, hopefully. But this point I want you to get right here. This point right here in four is so important to God. Does anybody remember when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, what he responded by saying the greatest commandment is? You have to love God with all your heart. Isn't that so interesting? God wants nothing more out of you than your love. Don't raise your hand. Who can say right now, I love God with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, with all my strength? When my wife and I first started getting together, let me tell you what, it was good. I read uh, the book, The Five Love Languages. Anybody here, you've been married, you met, and when you met your sweetheart, every, you in there, you know when you met that woman you love, Father. You're like, oh my goodness, I am highly favored by the Lord. You're laughing because you understand where I'm coming from. That's why you're married. We know you, Don. We know your type because you're married, Yvonne. We're looking at you like, Don, I know your type. Good job, Don. <laughs> Jared, good job, Jared. Good job. Good job. Chris, I know you got those green eyes. We don't trust you because you got those green eyes, but nevertheless, good job, Chris. <laughs> Good job, lady. Good job. So, but, but the point I'm trying to make is what? You are attracted to your beautiful bride for a reason. And when you first got with her, tell me how you felt on the inside. It's like there's, you wanted to be around her all day. You wrote her letters of love. You spent quality time with her. You wanted to go to, you opened the door for her and her family if need be. You did whatever you had to do because you just wanted to be with them. That's all that mattered. Did I move it? Oh. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. I read the book of Five Love Language I said before, and they said this feeling, this first love feeling does not last. I want to push against that thought just a little bit today. If God expects us to maintain these first feelings, obviously this is something he thinks we can do. How do we do that? We spend time with God. We love him. There was a great story in the Bible, Mary and a lady named who? Martha. And they were with Jesus while Jesus was still on the earth and Mary sat at Jesus' feet. But Martha was doing the work of the ministry. She was working hard doing all these great things. And Martha complained to Jesus, Lord, tell her to help me. And Jesus said, I'm going to tell her to help you. She has chosen the what? The better thing right now. This is why this church, we talk about this all the time. Just spend time with Jesus. We're trying to tell you, fall in love with God. That's what he wants. That's the most important thing. Because you can do all this work, working, 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 and fall out of love. 
It's kind of like this. You're like, oh, here, I'm on the... What do you think? Is he going to go up again? I'm not going to go up again. I don't like heights. I'm telling you. <laughs> it's like this. How do you fall out of love? You know how you fall out of love? One step at a time. We're not hanging like we used to. We're not talking like we used to. We're not going to the Golden Corral anymore. Getting that ice cream swirl. Now we get our own ice cream, so we're not sharing it anymore. <laughs> you laugh because you understand. Remember, therefore, from where you have what? Fallen. These are my words. These are Jesus' words. Now, this is the kicker. He says to do what? Repent. talking about falling out of love with God is a sin? Repent. That's what he wants. He wants your love. We are failing as a church from the time of Jesus until now unless we make that the priority. That word first love really means priority. Is Jesus the number one priority in your life? Is he first? Because you could do all these great works. But if you don't love him first, you need to repent, change your mind. Do the first works or else I will come to, I will come to you quickly. Sorry. Remove and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And the lamp stands for what? The church. Some scholars say, do you see the church of Ephesians around now? No, I mean, you say it's 2,000 years. I, I mean, of course they're not around. I mean, but is that the point Jesus Christ is making? This is not a point I'm going to argue or debate right here. Only thing I'll say is this. There's a negative consequence if Jesus Christ isn't your first love. I'll leave it there. I'll go on really quickly and we'll close soon. It says, but this you have, that you hate the deeds of Nicolaitans, which I also hate. I love this word Nicolaitans because it's, it's like these tricky things, these two words in one. Some people think that it's like the, the Santa Claus Christians. That's not what it's saying right here. This word Nico means over, Lord, rule. Laetans is the word for what? Laity. Basically saying it's, the, it's talking to these pastors or these people coming in trying to take over the church, trying to rule over the church. He says, you hate those people. Biblical leadership isn't ruling over people, it's serving people. He's like, good job. You're serving the people. He who has an ear, or she who has an ear, let her hear, let him hear, hear what the Lord, what the Spirit has to say to the churches. Now, this is the last part I want to say. To him who overcomes, or her who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life. This is what's at stake. Eating of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God, to the overcomers. He's not talking about the whole church. He's talking about specific people in Ephesus. If you overcome, you're going to get this great opportunity to eat of the tree of life, in which you'll never be hungry again. A couple points, and I'm completely done for the day. Point one, 
Jesus will remove their lampstand from his place if they don't repent. No one can argue that point right there. Now, the issue is we try to think, what's that, what's that mean for us eternally? What's that mean for our, I don't, that's not even the most important part to me. The most important part, it doesn't please Jesus if I'm not loving him. So regardless of the consequence, my heart desire is to please him. So I don't worry about so much the consequences as much as to do the goal. I want to please Jesus. I want to love him. I want him to look at me and love me. And I want to respond the way he wants to be responded to. Knowing that doing good deeds is not tantamount to being in love with Jesus. Just because you're doing good things, that don't mean you love Jesus. That's what he's trying to say. Now, he's not trying to tell them to stop doing good deeds. What he is trying to say is make sure you're loving him first. Because if you're not loving Jesus first, then doing good deeds don't mean that much of anything. Love him. And you know if you love him. This isn't gray area here. You know in your heart, Lord, I love you with all my heart. You can say right now whether you do or not. And if that's you right now, then work at it. My wife and I, we go to marriage counseling. Anybody else in here go to marriage counseling? You don't have to raise your hand. I know it's a very touchy situation. Don't raise your hand, I said. Don't raise it. But we go to marriage counseling because of this reason right here. Because you can have a Ferrari with nice rims. What's, what's those nice tires? You, NASCAR reference. I'm a NASCAR guy. I'm from West Virginia. See, I'm going to say you're from Wisconsin. I'm just trying to say I'm from West Virginia. I like NASCAR. Anybody? What kind of car? Mizuros? What are they called? What? Oh, see, I'm thinking change the tire. Okay. So, it doesn't matter. Knowing good deeds is not tantamount with being in love with God. And if I'm married to my wife as a pastor and I want to present this front to you, like everything's perfect, I'll never tell you I'm going to counseling because I want you to think I'm perfect. But that's not what I want you to think. I want you to think I'm human. And as a human being, I struggle. And we go to counseling because we want to stay married. So you can have a Ferrari with nice tires. And if you don't maintain that car, you know what happens? It falls apart. You can have a Yugo. I aged myself right there, but I'm just trying to say, you know, Don, it's not, I know there's more people who know a Yugo. Don't try don't to keep that face out. Don't call you out. I'm just trying to say, you can have a Yugo and maintain that Yugo consistently. And years later, you still have that Yugo running smoothly, 400,000 miles. <laughs> but that Ferrari, you don't change your oil, rotate the tires, that Ferrari will be done. Your marriage can be a Ferrari. And if you're not maintaining it, that thing will fall apart. Your relationship with God can be our Ferrari starting out. But if you're not maintaining it, it'll fall apart. What do we need to do? Return to our first love. That's your responsibility. You can do it. He asked you to do it. You want to do this. Make it a priority. That's not number two. That's number one. You need to do it so that you can be assured that you eat of the tree of life. Those are my words. Those are Jesus's. You are an overcomer. That's my hope for you all. That's why this church is called Endurance, because there are difficult decisions that need to be made. And putting Christ first seems like it's a hard thing to do, but it's the best decision that you could do. I should have had Nate do this, because he can get on the top, because you know, he works on like skyscrapers. I'm not brave like him yet. Jesus wants you to consistently fall in love with him, not just obey him.
Imagine that. This day, Jesus wants you to fall in love with him. He's lucky because he gets to have you fall in love with him. Jesus wants you to fall in love with him this day. I mean, that's awesome. He wants you to fall in love with him today. Fall in love with Jesus today. Remember how it was when you first fell in love. Now, I'm not talking about fell in love with Tom Cruise or Brad Pitt or Britney Spears or Ariana Grande. Oh, I got a contemporary person in there this time. Yeah, I'm relevant. No, not, okay, well, keep trying. <laughs> Remember how you felt. Remember your actions when you first fell in love. Because that's how Jesus wants you to love him. Just like you fell in love for the first time. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this day. Lord God, forgive us, Lord God, for this hot church. I thank you, Lord God, the next week we'll have some fans, some way, somehow. I thank you, Lord God, for the church that endured today, that made it through the hot weather. And I pray, Lord God, they will consider falling in love with you today. I pray, Father God, they hear your voice and they respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you leave, I'm looking for my wife. And if some human being can go ask her if she has her gifts ready. You saw that ESP? You saw that she was able to read me. I didn't even say anything, right? <laughs> I'm sorry for the pressure. Um, before you leave, uh, find a couple fathers and say thank you. Uh, fathers are special people, um, and we want you to feel special today. Now, just so you know, next year forward, we're not going to call it Father's Day anymore. We're going to call it Dad's Day. Does anybody know we're not going to call it Father's Day anymore? Okay, and if you're about to be a dad, understand you still deserve to get a gift as well. You're already a father, Pat, so just don't walk away without any gifts, just so you know. Um, does she want me to release them, or is she coming? Oh, goodness. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to release you out of the hot gym to get your gifts before you go. Let me pray for you, and we'll be released. Father God, thank you for this day once again, for these men and these women. And Lord God, the wives, Lord God, to help these fathers become fathers. I pray they are blessed, and have a great rest of the day. In Jesus' name. This has been a presentation of Endurance Church. For more about the ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash endurancechurch and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash endurancechurch.tv. Remember to live well and finish strong. on my head I don't have to hold 
on my 